Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Like the guy who drops 10 grand on the Wizards to win the NBA championship. If you wanted to do something similar, it could net you millions of dollars. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, in case you're interested in betting on The Bachelor. BetOnline has hundreds of prop bets with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, there's the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards. Since we last talked, uh, the Wizards had a nice win, 127-124 over the Lakers. Tough loss to the Clippers. They looked a little flat, but they got back into it for a while before ultimately losing 135-116. Nice win over Denver, once again at the buzzer, 112-110. We'll talk about that one a little bit. Pretty solid, convincing win over the Minnesota Timberwolves, which didn't look like that was going to be the case most of the way through it, but they pulled it out 128-112. And we were looking good, Larry, into last night's game against the Boston Celtics. And then I don't even really know how to explain last night's game. I'm hoping you can make sense of it for me. They ultimately lose 111-110. to but they were up 110-105 with 41 seconds left. How do you lose that game at that point? I just thought they got a, a little bit too comfortable. I, I thought that, you know, those guys were having, you know, they were having some fun, obviously. But when the game's not over and, you know, I, I know you're creating energy with, you know, the different celebrations and things of that nature. But I just thought that they were celebrating too early. I thought that, you know, they Brad in particular made a couple buckets and I was just saying to myself, like, you got to come down and get a couple stops. You don't really have a problem scoring the ball. The problem is getting stops on the other end. Um, and I was just a little concerned and it, it came true. I mean, it came true just to, to celebrate a little bit too early uh, to stay a little bit more locked in on defense. I think they could have pulled that game out. It seemed like they were so focused on like not giving up threes, you know, like, oh, we'll trade twos with you until the end. And they ran Tatum off the three point line. And then he just like sort of waltzed untouched all the way to the basket uh, toward the end. And then he made a tough layup to, to put them ahead. What what do you make of the situation of the Wizards not calling timeout, not advancing the ball? throwing it to Beal, assuming he'll get fouled, and Boston, as a smart, well-coached team, knows they don't have to foul there. They trap. Beal, unfortunately, slips, and they turn the ball over and end up giving up another bucket. I just That seems like a coaching mistake to me. Uh, Scott Brooks said that one's on him, but then sort of walked it back a little bit after about, you know, we thought they were going to foul. Uh, what's your take there, Larry? Well, I don't think he can take that one. And, you know, obviously I'm not one to be critical of Brad, but we got to give that ball up. I mean, I I know we score a lot of points with leading the league in scoring, but 
you can't cradle up. I mean, you know, we're teaching it at the at the youth level. I mean, you got to either get your elbows out and step through and, and keep that ball moving forward. But the, the time when you cradle up and you put the onus on the, the referee to either make a foul call or a lot of times it's a jump ball call, uh, you put yourself in a tough position. So if you catch the ball on the baseline, you got you to gotta do everything you can to advance that ball off the baseline and then obviously, you know, use a little bit of time and, you know, hopefully the guys will make free throws. But what I saw is, you know, just trying to obviously make sure that, you know, Brad gets fouled. He's the, the best free throw shooter on the team. But at the same time, you got to know time and score and position on the court. And I thought I wouldn't put that one on coach. I would just put that on, you know, the, the basketball IQ of the guys that were out there. You know, when I did like little league coaching and stuff, we always like taught them to give the ball back to the inbounder because that's the guy most likely to be to be open. It seemed like a, a weird choice to me to have Russ inbound that ball, knowing he's one of the two guys most likely to get it and maybe get fouled. And he's been abysmal from the free throw line for the last two weeks. Uh, th- did that one surprise you a little bit or am I reading too much into that? Uh, Not really. Not really. I, th- I think, you know, obviously Russ is – you know, you would expect him to step up and knock down two free throws uh, as, a, you know, being a professional that he is. But at the same time, being able to use his speed uh, mm. if you do get the basketball back, right? I mean, and you just want to advance. I mean, at some point in time, you're going to get fouled. At some point in time, someone is going to have to shoot a free throw. But I think at that time, you're trying to use clock as well. So, yes, you want to get fouled, but you also want to use the clock. And I think at that point in time, the clock is actually more important than getting fouled. So mm. I'm going to – I want to use time – and then, you know, get fouled, you know, three, four, five seconds and then, you know, get a stop and game's over. They ultimately go down uh, one point, but still have a pretty good chance with four or five seconds left. The ball gets to Beal. He immediately gets double teamed. And a lot of the sort of online chatter was, well, why doesn't he kick it back out to Westbrook, who's wide open for a three? Uh, the follow up to that is, why doesn't Westbrook cut down the middle when no one is anywhere near him? Do you have a problem with Brad shooting that? Should he have kicked it to Westbrook? Should Westbrook have cut? What? What? Sh- how should that have played out? Well, I think Brad's my first and my second option. He's my first and my second option still in the catch. If he didn't have anything, a shot, a turn it and shoot the basketball, then I want him to drive baseline because he put so much pressure on the defense and and he's been getting those calls. He actually got that call in the last game, mm-hmm. or one of the last games against Denver, Denver. where he just driving the basketball hard with really no option to score the ball just a matter of just driving the basketball hard. Um, and then I would like to say, yeah, you know, Rush should have cut. I saw Bertans coming, you know, to the basketball a, a little late. But, yeah, I think Brad is your one or your two. So the shot that he took, I think he could have got a better shot if he was more focused on him taking that shot. I think he took that shot as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I'm not having any problems with the out-of-bounds play of him catching the ball baseline. I would just want him to drive it you know, and put pressure on the defense. And if he has a shot, take it, draw a foul, try it. If not, kick out. You got a last-second shot by anyone on the other side of the court. Yeah, like you said, that play worked two games before. You have confidence that that's, that's a good look for you. And uh, I, I think the hope there was to drive. That's what it sounded like in, in post-game and, and put, you know, some pressure on the officials and the defense. But I, I forget the exact stat, but Westbrook's shooting like sub-10% from three over the last like 10 games, which is almost hard to do. Like if you throw it up from half court, you probably make 10% of them. Uh, If I'm him, I don't understand why that's the place 
I would want to catch the ball. I mean, you're down one, like it does you no good. That just seemed, that seemed odd to me that he's the one on the three point line. Well, I think it's a, a spacer and, you know, the mentality of a professional player that the next shot is going in, you know, no matter what the percentage is, no matter what the thought process is, you know, we're all in that back, you know, in the backyard or in the playground, you know, five, four, three, two, one. So, so that's the, that's what goes through your mind. You just, you know, creating a little space. And um, yeah, I, I don't know if, if Russ even thought about the three point line at all. I think it was more just spacing. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. And, and you had, I think Neto and Bertans were sort of around uh, on the other, other wing, either of them getting a wide open look from three, I feel a little bit better about, but, but that's a hard pass for Brad to make, especially with a, a double coming toward him. If, if he drives early, he has something. Yeah. If he drives early, he has something. Their double team is coming from the top. Uh, he's well-skilled to get to that baseline angle. If not, you know, create a little bit of contact with a bump out of bounds and you're shooting two free throws. So I think if he drives that basketball as opposed to turning and facing up, uh, the team is in a better position to know how to react. I, I, I don't think they knew how to react. I mean, Berton's cut way late. Uh, there wasn't any action. Uh, there was a little bit of action on the weak side, but – I don't think they had any idea of, of the cue of, of, you know, which way to go as far as Brad dribbling or not dribbling. Even though we just spent the first five minutes of the show talking about the sort of offensive issues there, this game seemed like a step back defensively to me. Um, Boston struggled a good amount this season from like a ball movement perspective. Uh, you know, they're like bottom five in the league and things like hockey assists bottom five in the league of like wide open looks where defenders, you know, like six feet or more away from you, but they knocked down a ridiculous percentage of those wide open looks. And, and I felt like the wizards gave up an awful lot of those. And it wasn't like, you know, Boston particularly creating them. Like you can't let Daniel Tice be wide open for a vast majority of that game. Like, I mean, I guess you don't, if Daniel Tice beats you, so be it, but you got to put a little pressure on, on a guy like that. It's not like he can't shoot. So uh, what did you see from the defense last night? Uh, I, I know that Boston, you know, that they make tough shots and they have guys that can make shots and get their own shot and create, you know, create action. Uh, they have a couple big guys. So they put a lot of pressure on the other team. Their, their record is not great. I think because they're trying to sort out uh, how they're going to play with or without Kimba and to try to eliminate taking so many tough shots, even though they can make tough shots. Uh, but those guys being open, I think that that's part of maybe part of the game plan that you have to understand. Um, yes, if Tice is going to be the one that's going to knock down threes, then you're probably going to live with that. It's the other thing that you're giving up with the offensive rebounds uh, and your effort. Uh, getting back into plays. And it, it has to be a collective effort. You can't be concerned with getting out on the break. You can't be concerned uh, with, with you know, just being so far out of position. I think a lot of those guys ended up out of position. But when you talk about Tice you know, being that guy, if somebody's going to get the shot you want it to be Tice, but obviously you want to close out with the hand up and you want to limit his offensive rebounds. He's taking wide open shots, but also getting in position to go and, and rebound the basketball or, or at least get a hand in there to, to deflect the basketball so they can get another possession. So those two things don't really work. An open shot and the opportunity to go get your own uh, rebound, that means the defenders is nowhere you know nowhere in sight. We hadn't seen that much from the Wizards over that, over that win streak. Is that maybe just them finally getting a little run down and it's starting to catch up? Like it, it just seemed a half step slow on almost everything. 
Well, I think it's your focus and it's it's your, you know, your margin of error, right? When you, you get into a streak and you're winning games, you start feeling good about yourself. So you take the shortcut on a few things. You may not close out as hard. You may try to leak out, uh, get an easy bucket. Uh, you may not box out because you've been winning a little bit and it's it's worked uh, in a couple previous games. So I think you just get a little lax when you hit those winning streaks. But it takes the group, it takes the staff, it takes the bench to keep everybody locked in and, and understand how do you keep winning because you're not in a position to, you know what I mean? You're not just in a position to say, okay, well, we could give away this game and, and or do this or do that. Like you really have to be locked in uh, for the 448. And human nature, once you're winning a little bit, you know, things get a little bit sweeter. Uh, you, you, you do things a little bit different than you did in those previous games. So you saw a little bit of a slippage on, on the defensive end. And I speak on the defensive end, the last play with Brad guarding Jason, you know, from an out-of-bounds play. I would want Hachi to guard Jason on that particular play when it's, when it's a dead ball situation, meaning Jason didn't dribble the basketball over half court. Now it's in a live ball, and now you have to figure out which way he's going. I think Brad is a better defender in that space. But when you take him down to right off the logo, you got to put a bigger, stronger guy on him and force him to do something different other than, you know, turn and be able to use his, his height. So that's a little bit of, you know, of slippage of things that I saw that, you know, why, why I feel that those guys kind of gave that game away. Is Was that the plan for Beal to be on him down the stretch, do you think? Or you think that something just sort of got... Uh, you know, there was a miscommunication there or they set a screen before the play. Like, I, I don't remember who started the play on him before before that. No, they started on it. Like, he Brad. started, yeah, Brad started, you know, you know, on the backside of three-quarter court, uh, three-quartering uh, Jason you know, off the logo. And it could be one of those days where, you know, Brad says, I got him, right? I mean, you know, those guys have something going on. They I mean, they know each other. They know each other's moves. But Jason's too tall. I mean, he's too tall for, for Brad to guard anything 15 feet in it. Yeah. So, you know, that's just not going to work no matter how, you know, how much you want to do it. Like putting that matchup at that point in time doesn't work, right? I'm going to jump up in the, from the bench screaming, no, we got to switch. We got to switch because there's not enough time to make a pass. So he's going to go, especially he's going to go if he sees Brad on him because he knows Brad is not a, a tall enough defender. Tatum obviously struggled the last time these two teams played, but the game before that, he was really good and hit some tough shots down the stretch and, and Brad guarded him a lot. And they asked Brad about it. And he said, you know, something along the lines of I'm six, three and he's six, nine, you know, like I can only put so much pressure on him. So to your point, like, I, I think Brad fully acknowledged that. And he kind of shrugged off as if it wasn't like his choice to be the stopper there, you know, like, <laughs> so I, I'm not really sure that's a Brooks decision or, or whatever, but um, yeah, you, you got to give somebody Bonga, somebody like Bonga giving you some good defensive minutes. Just, just make his life a little tougher. He did. I mean, he did. I think Bonga came in and did give them some good defensive minutes. And uh, you're talking about one of the, I mean, probably uh, one of the top five offensive players in the NBA. I mean, today, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, playing 10 feet away from the basket and you need a stop. Like, you know that that's a position. He's a guy that's going to try to put the ball in the hole. So starting out, we got to put somebody that's going to match that size. I mean, shit. I mean, that's that's all I know. I mean, that's like not brain surgery right there. Yeah, I mean, it'd be one thing if we were talking about, like, I don't know, somebody a little shorter that has, like, defensive, you know, like, as a lockdown defender. Like, if you've got a Marcus Smart on your team or somebody, like, 
maybe they're smaller, but they're considered elite for their position. That's different. Like I wouldn't necessarily think uh, elite defender and Brad get mentioned in the same sentence very often. Yeah, and that's a different player. And you think about where Brad would allow Jason to catch the basketball versus where Marcus Smart will allow a guy to catch the basketball. So Jason would have caught that basketball somewhere closer to the point line (laughs) as opposed to closer to the box. So, yes, you're completely right as far as to that defensive player. Just going back to Bongo for a second, uh, after the game, all anybody seemed to remember was the 0 for 5 from the three-point line and, and realistically if he if he makes one of those looks um it's probably a different game at certain points but I thought he played well enough to see, like I want to see him get more minutes you know Abdia seems to be a little out of sorts right now that happens at this point in the year for rookies sometimes but uh, yeah I thought Bongo was like a menace for for a good stretch of minutes there defensively um what do you think Larry is that just a product of hey we got to get some fresh legs out there sometimes or do you think he's working his way back into the rotation a little No idea on that one. No idea on that one. But I will say from my evaluation that that's the guy that you can use on the defensive end, right? And we talk about like the roles of what's going to give you your best shot of winning the basketball game. Mm -hmm. Like his role is, is, is to be a good solid defender, get into the passing lanes, create some rebounds, create some opportunities where you can get some deflections and anything else he gives you is icing on the cake. So he hasn't been shooting threes. He hasn't been playing. So even though he's wide open, it's it's different. Like it's different. Basketball is a game of rhythm and you get a chance to, you know, take and make shots. But if you give a guy five shots and and they're from 30 feet away from the basket and you say he's not a productive player because he missed those shots. It's like, what do we what do we need him for? Mm -hmm. And I would say it's for him to step in, use his length trick people when they drive him to the basket. They think he's going to go and block as, as as opposed to him stepping in and now he draws a charge. So he's always making the offensive player think he has size. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm not concerned about, obviously you want him to make those shots and if he makes those shots, then you put a couple more points on the board, but that's not necessarily what he's out there for. So if you get down on him for missing those five shots, you're not going to use him or allow him to to do what he's best at. That's going to really, really help you make the you know win the game, you know. And that's where I look at, you know, our roles and and what we're out here to do, and not looking at things in that, you know, in that short window because that's a very short window when you talk about, you know, the three point shot and missing open shots. Uh, there's a lot that goes into you know goes into that for for that guy. And he's actually above 40% for the season. Like he's made a lot of his looks, uh, but um, Larry, you probably can't speak to this because it wasn't really how your career played out, but just from, from teammates and all that kind of stuff, how hard is it for a guy when you haven't played in a month to come in, when you finally get those minutes, it's got to be so much pressure to like be perfect to know, like if, if you play poorly, like you're going back on the bench for another month. Yeah, no, I have been in that situation. I've been in probably every situation that any, you know, (laughs) basketball players are going to go through in the NBA as far as coming off the bench, starting fans want you to play versus coaching staff and, you know, conflicts with upper management. Like, so I've been in every situation imaginable that from, from an NBA standpoint, from a basketball standpoint. So I was in Chicago, you know, right before I got traded to New York. And we, like I said, we had had an issue as far as the young guys playing and, you know, the coach coming to me and say, Hey, there's not going to be a lot of minutes for you. Um, okay, ultimately we're going to work and see if we can move you or you know get you to a different spot. So with that, now you're not even playing. So I went, yes, 
four, six weeks, whatever it was, without even playing. And then once I get traded to New York, I'm terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible. I can't make a shot. The conditioning is off because I haven't been playing. You know what I mean? So it plays a, a role into if, if you get out and have the ability to do your job every day, night in and night out, you get that routine, you get those habits. It makes you a better basketball player. When you're coming in and out, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. So I can't speak to that. Is that easier to reconcile later in your career? Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get another, like, I would just think for him as a 21 year old guy, that's probably, he's never been in something like that. At least you've kind of seen it play out by the time it, it happened to you, I guess. Yeah. I had more muscle memory. I was, I was older and I also was more established. So I knew I could play the game, right? I knew once I got my shot, I could actually do what I was supposed to do. He's probably a guy that's still kind of iffy, on you know what his role is or what his responsibility is going to be and if he can actually realistically or, or in reality compete you know at the NBA level I mean he's a guy that's that young that those thoughts kind of creep in when you're going up and down in this roller coaster type of uh rotation so he's probably a guy that, that needs to you know that's not like me when, when I was later on in my career and understood you know that I could play he's probably a guy that's kind of wondering if, you know, if he has what it takes. So once you get that ball, it's like a grenade. It's like, man, if I miss this shot, I might go to the bench or they may not think I can make this shot if I miss it one time. So I'm sure that there's a lot of things that go on, um, you know, in that, on that roller coaster. You see a lot of buzz about the Wizards need a lockdown wing defender. You know, Andre Roberson just got cut. Uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson sitting at home. And, and, you know, a lot of fans clamoring for us to add a guy like that. But not that Bonga is probably as good defensively for those who, you know, as those guys, but he has potential to be, and he's actually probably a better uh, wide open shooter for the most part. And even he can't get minutes on this team. So do you see a, one of those guys, maybe because they're a veteran, maybe it makes more sense, but what a name like that coming in and being able to make a difference or earn minutes? Not necessarily. I, I don't, I, I don't, I think that, you know, you, you talk about the individual. I think you have individuals on this team that that want to play defense, that, that get fired up about playing defense. Now it's just a matter of how our how's our team defense going to look. I mean, I, I think you have you've identified guys that can come in and be decent defenders. There's not a good defender or not a great defender in the NBA. Yeah. There's not. There's great team defense. There's not a guy that Kawhi. I mean. Kawhi, I, I would say that he's a guy that's going to go from, you know, point guard all the way down to a five, if, if if the new age five, if he has to. But other than that, I think like a bonga, man, you know, from a wing standpoint or, or getting more mobility within Hachi and, and having him have, you know, a little bit more quickness out there in the perimeter as well. So I think you have things in your stable that you could begin to groom and, and give, you know, energy to. I mean, they just need the battery. Right? Yeah. We talk about all these other guys, but sometimes your guys just need that battery. And, you know, whether it's Tommy Shepard, whether it's Brooks, whether it's Brad, whether it's Wes, like somebody has to give the, these guys the battery and, and bringing in new guys, you know, you bring in guys that can help. But I sure. think from a, from a you know, standpoint of, of what you have now, I think you have guys that could, could help you be a better defensive team. Yeah, unless they're like a clear upgrade, you know, or, or somebody gets bought out that can really help you, something like that. But I wouldn't be bringing in marginal one-dimensional vets at the expense of like, I, you know, sometimes you're going to have to let somebody like Avdia play through mistakes because you're going to need him to be at least somewhat productive for you. If you, you know, if you make a playoff run. 
Yeah, that, that's the one I'm keeping my eye on, Matt. That's that's the one I'm keeping my eye on. I think the basketball IQ, which we all understood, was was really, really good. Um, and obviously, he says the right thing as far as the watching tape and, and defensive matchups, because even though I say that there's not a great defensive player, you need to hold your own for your ability to compete within the team defensive scheme. And if it's always you that we're pointing at, then that's a problem. Whether it's a foul or a blow by, that's a problem. So I'm keeping my eye on Denny because he's struggling on the defensive end. And some of that is because I don't know if he's not athletic enough or he's, his, his fast twitch is, is not where he needs it to be at this point, but he's really, really late. You know, whether it's closing out, whether it's a guy, you know, you know, driving to the basket, he's really, really late. And it's putting him in bad positions where he, he has to foul. And uh, that's not going to be good for a team that's trying to build their defensive identity. So we need to keep an eye on, you know, just Denny's ability to uh, switch and stay in front, but also contest shots without fouling. To talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers over $100, making it free to flip or sell your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Yeah, I'm wondering if the style of play difference between you know the league he was in last year to this year is really throwing him off because he, he seems surprised by some of the things he gets called for fouls on. And then the next position, he's given a guy like a wider berth to avoid the foul. And it's like, well, then he gets blown by. And he talked a lot before the season about how like he didn't really watch much NBA. And because of that, he wasn't like particularly scared of anybody. And he had a quote after guarding LeBron about, I stick to the scouting report and I'm not afraid of anybody. Like, and all that stuff, it's nice to hear. It's cute. But like, I think he might actually be at a disadvantage because if you don't watch the NBA, you don't know you know, what's a foul and what isn't or, or how to guard certain guys. And you can see all the scouting reports you want, but until you've like had to guy, you know, guard a guy's pump fake particularly or, or any of that stuff, I, I got to imagine it's until you've done it, it's a lot tougher. Yeah. He, he does this thing on defense when the guy shoots the ball, it's like, he just kind of runs, not necessarily he scoots up under him. Like he scoots his body into him, which is, is always been a foul. I mean, I don't know which, you know, which, which NBA or which league he's been playing in, but that's one of the things to me is like a really simple deal is that you guys are giving up shots by the hundreds in the NBA. So the only thing that you can do at this point is to stay in position, contest the shot without fouling and, you know, keep that guy from running in and getting his offensive rebound. So I think when you, when you start to foul, that just means that you're late um, and you're, you're reacting, your reaction time is not uh, where it needs to be. Speaking of the new age NBA, let's talk about the end of the Denver game here for a second. I really wanted to get your take on this in the moment. Uh, Jamal Murray has the ball, a couple seconds left. They're down two, and uh, literally it's a four-on-one fast break, and all four guys are outside the three-point line. 
what what did you make of that? What were you thinking in the moment? Who, you know, who is at blame there? Is it everybody? Uh, like, walk me through that a little bit. I, it's Michael Porter Jr. I mean, that's that's you know that that's an easy layup. Uh, Brad kind of went back into the lane, but then decided to to really close to the basketball because Murray can shoot the ball, and it looked like he was going to stop at the three. Mm-hmm. So that just opened up a wide you know passing lane for for Murray to hit uh, Porter Jr on the, you know, on the back cut for a layup. And, you know, you watch film, those guys see this after the game. I mean, there's really no explanation. You really can't explain it. It's, it's, it's mind boggling how, and that's, you know, one of Brad's, it's mind boggling how someone would have a wide open layup and, and decide to slide out to the furthest position away from the basketball. So you didn't slide to one position away from the basketball. You slid to the furthest position away from the basketball and you were never going to get the ball. So, I mean, just our basketball IQ tells us we just walk in, you know, shoot a layup. We go to overtime trying to win a basketball game. If it's two on one, maybe, you know, you go to the opposite wing to give him some space or, or something, but you have a guy at the top of the key. I forget you have Compazzo on the wing. And then now you've got Porter Jr. in the corner. Like you said, he there's no way that ball is going to him of any of those guys. It's the toughest pass to make. And Murray took some shit in real time and then tweeted out a picture of them all along the three-point line. I was just like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Uh, Denver's a weird team to me. Like, I, there seems to be some, you know, like Will Barton doesn't want to come off the bench. Porter Jr.'s throwing some shade at Murray and Jokic. Uh, you know, they're barely above 500. Uh, that's a team I expected a lot more from, but they seem a little out of sorts right now. Well, I think they they ran into a situation where uh, they got caught in free agency and they got caught in, you know, the fast turnaround from the bubble and not understanding, you know, the actual pieces that they need to bring back to to make another run at it. I mean, they let two guys get away from their Plumley, and um, the, the, the other kid that went to, yeah, Jeremy Grant that went to, uh, Detroit. I mean, they let those guys get out of there. And so you rely on a young guy like Michael Porter, who hasn't played a lot of basketball. I mean, he's a great talent, uh, but he still has a lot to learn about the NBA game, just the, just the nuances of the game. He has a lot to learn. And you rely on that, you know, and let those other guys go. And I think that that put them in a bad spot. So you got your quick turnaround. You let, you know, two of your your active guys. I mean, this league lo- loves those size guys you know, on a contending team and you let those guys walk. I mean, it's just like, you know, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, you know, the Lakers letting them walk. Obviously the Lakers were able to put a few more pieces in place, but it it reminds me of the same sort of scenario when you're relying on guys that you want to, you want to push in the forefront, but those veteran guys that have proven what they can do, you let them walk. It's, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, even a guy like Torrey Craig, you know, wasn't going to do much for you offensively. You're starting to slide a little defensively, but you got to find a Torrey Craig type guy, I think, to replace that if that sort of was a valuable contributor to your team. Uh, All right. Speaking of some pieces that might be on the move, there's been some rumors that the Mavericks want to move Kristaps Porzingis and that the Wizards might be a potential, you know, destination for him, or at least the Wizards were going to keep their eye on him. Who knows if that's true or not, but I don't know how much Mavericks you've watched recently. He seems to be trending up for the most part. What would you think about him as a member of the Wizards? He's a solid player, man. If, if you have his health records, <laughs> if you could, you know, have a baseline of, you know, where you need to get him or what's going to, you know, 
keep him healthy or what can make him, you know, the most healthy he can be. I mean, that's a tall guy with a lot of, you know, long bones. They like when I played those guys with long bones, they didn't last long. So, so he's a guy, but, but very, very talented and very skilled. And if I'm on an opposing team and we're talking about pulling that guy into what we're doing, my first question, or probably my only question is, you know, how healthy is he? And if you say he's good to go, then He's somebody that you can work with. I mean, he's an inside-outside threat, uh, has a bunch of length. He's not afraid. His just main knock is that he he's, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and that's been a lot of us in this league. But, man, that's that's a that's a really good young player uh, that needs to find a situation that's going to work best for him. Yeah, he's taken some heat in Dallas because they're so desperate for shooting. They basically camp him out on the three-point line. That's a dude that showed in New York, like he can do some damage around the rim and, and that's kind of not how he gets used or, or I don't know, maybe he's not healthy enough to to pound him, you know, under the basket. I, I don't know, but I think it would matter what you'd have to give up to get him. Like I wouldn't gut the roster for him, but if the value, you know, it, if you can get him because the price is low enough because of the injury history, I, I think he makes sense. Yeah, I just like for the, you know, the GMs to really do their job to really understand how players really work together, mesh together, how players games, you know, kind of play off of one another, who benefits uh, the most. And because I don't, you know, a guy like, you know, Doncic, who's a great player. I mean, if he's taking a thousand dribbles, I mean, that's just, that's just what it is. So a player that's coming in or player that's going to play alongside of him has to be one of those catch and shoot guys, one of those floor spacer guys. Because if they do get the basketball, it's going to be late in the clock, six seconds, mm-hmm. eight seconds anyway. Uh, so you just expect those players to, you know, to, to catch and shoot the basketball. So all, you know, players that are that are good or great players, they don't necessarily mesh and work together. You're not putting so much pressure on that player, just making sure that these general managers are really lining these guys up the best way possible. And there's been some chatter that like his brother, that's also his agent, is like impossible to deal with and all that stuff. And if you can get a good player, you get a good player. Like there are plenty of good guys with annoying agents. I got to imagine. But that would be the knock. If it's a family member, that would be like a red flag, okay. you know? Yeah. You know, those things when you, you're dealing with family, uh, sometimes they have just a, not necessarily a one-sided view on, on who their client is or who their family member is, but it, it gets to be that way. So, you know, some people want to shy away from that. And I've heard um, you know, when overseas guys come over, a lot of times that's that's the dynamic of their representation as a family member, or older brother, uh, somebody that speaks the language and understands the business somewhat. So that, that that could be a red flag when you talk about his movements and where he ends up. Don't you know, don't discount that at all. I, I guess that's fair. There's a reason that a guy that big and that talented has uh, not really latched on anywhere so far. Uh, all right, two more quick ones here for you, Larry. Uh, just circling back to to the Wizards and Beal, uh, they they asked Scott Brooks about this in the press conference last night. The Wizards have lost seven or lost eleven straight games when Bradley Beal scores forty or more points. Uh, we've talked about this a little bit, and the ball needing to move. I mean, I think to some extent that's kind of like a little unfair. Like, you know, some of that might be like the ball not moving, but some nights like your role players like aren't going to have it, and you've got to do what you got to do to keep the team in the game right i mean do, do you buy into like there's a direct correlation there between he scores 40 and they lose i do i do i mean when you have that great talent you have to make sure that you know it, it's molded and it's crafted in a way that everyone can be successful 
And there's a balance with that because as a great player, you never want to let your team lose. So you have to figure out, you know, the, the most that you can do while allowing those other players to, to do what they do and do what they're paid to do. And a, a lot of times I, I see, you know, just wondering if Brad can make those other players better. If he's able to, obviously he's going to put pressure on the, the defense. So they're going to bring two bodies with them. And obviously that'll leave or open it up for someone else to, to potentially make a play. But I think when you look at that stat, you talk about that stat, you know, you really have to dig into it. If, if it's a matter of, you know, hunting shots, is it a matter of, of trying to score the most points that you can score? As a matter of shooting the ball every time you touch it. I mean, those things are real. And when you're playing with, with, with players and they're running up and down the court and they're not necessarily, they're engaged in the game plan because everyone wants to win, but they're not necessarily engaged in the game. So when you need to rely on those players the most, it's not, you know, their opportunities are, are, are very thin. So I think that there is some correlation between that, but I think the it's more about the 48 minutes than the ending number of how many points are scored that, you know, allows, you know, your, your team to be there to, to figure out if you're going to win or lose. But I think that there is some, you know, I think that there is something there when you talk about scoring points versus losing the basketball game and what your actual makeup of your team is um, can factor into winning or losing games. I definitely felt that way a couple games early in the season, like there was too much, let's clear out for Brad and everybody stayed in the corner. I didn't feel that way last night though. Like guys just looked kind of out of it. And I thought that was more Brad being like, all right, everybody get on my back. Like I got you. So like, I think it's not good for them to have to have him put up that many points on a regular basis, but the 11 straight losses, like I don't think you can go to Brad and be like, Hey, that's your fault. Like some nights other guys aren't going to have it and you need him to do that. Is that fair? No, I think you need him to, to do that, I think you need to be him. The I think you need him to be the alpha. I think you need him to take charge every night. It's how do you do that? How are you making this guy better than he was the other night? What sort of opportunities can you give him that you know he's going to be successful with? And then if he's not, how are you prepping him for that next opportunity? That's what I'm talking about. It's not like okay, you missed a shot, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take the next five. Like no, we don't play basketball like that, and that's how they play basketball. It's like. When Brad goes out, then it's now it's Westbrook, it's, it's Westbrook's show. And no, that's not how you guys are going to win and be successful overall because you have these guys that don't get a, a chance to uh, get in the rhythm, get in the flow when Brad's in the game because of the amount of shots and the amount of opportunity he takes up. When Brad is out, now it's up to Westbrook to make sure that the team is in line and, and you know everyone is getting their opportunities. But what I see is when Brad goes out, He's scoring his points. He's going to get his 40. He's going to get 35, right? But when he goes out, if now if Westbrook is taking all the shots and he's missing those shots, you don't allow your teammates to help you. So when Brad comes in, he's just going to go back to everything that he was already doing, but you never got that help from those other guys. So that's why I see the problem is as far as to, you know, allowing those other guys to play. It's not necessarily Brad. Sometimes it's actually Westbrook that stopped those guys from playing because he feels that he has a mismatch every time. And, you know, you just don't get that, that, that rhythm and flow for those other guys like you, like you would want. I thought they got like a couple better looks for Bertons and people like that um, last night. Matthews has had a couple of the last few games. But like Rui, for example, he looked like he wanted no part of it last night. And, and I don't know what that was. Like, I don't know. I'm, I just, I guess I think it's somewhat on some of those other guys too. Like 
post up and and demand the ball or or you know like put yourself in a position to receive the ball more i don't know it, it just last night i got a weird vibe from them kind of across the board i don't know maybe again that goes back to like the it's catching up to them or they're feeling themselves a little bit or 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 whatever the dynamic is they have two more games before the all-star break they play tuesday night against memphis thursday night against the clippers you know the memphis game is a winnable game memphis isn't sort of a world beating team Maybe the Clippers rest some guys. I don't know. That's traditionally been sort of a bad matchup for the Wizards, but we've talked a lot about just continuing to go 500. It would be a nice way to go into the all-star break, I think, to at least get one of those two. How tough is that, Larry, when you're like right before a break to kind of like power through and and close out and make sure you finish strong? Well, it should be, it should be, I don't want to say easy, but it should be easy. Uh, We have one all-star. You've hit a pretty good streak. Uh, you want to close out strong. You you want to close out strong. You had a game last night that you probably should have you should have won. So I don't think it'll be tough for these guys, you know, at this particular time to to really want to close out. You know, heading into All Star break. Normally, All Star break is one of those times when you're looking at, um, you know, how many games left, or you know, what's our record? What's our record been up to this time? And for those guys to look back and say, oh, six out of seven, five out, so. They've done something that's good. So I think that they'll finish these two games out. Like you said, we want to, anytime you post them on the board, you want to at least do 500, right? But if you're talking about this game, then you want to win that game. Uh, So if you don't win that first game, you give yourself a chance to win that second game to go 500. But when you're looking at the, looking at the board and our games that are left, shit, we're saying we can win them all, you know, but you take them game by game and day by day and know that there's not a lot of, you know, room for error. So I think these guys will, will finish pretty strong. Yeah, I think is you know this is the time to play the Clippers. You know, like maybe they're they're ready to get a little rest here too, and and they've had some injuries and stuff. Uh, just looking at the the back half of the schedule, they have thirty eight games in sixty eight days. Uh, we talked about the five games and seven day stretch, but and I think they had fifteen games total in February. Like that's a tough month. If you're seeing 38 and 68 ahead, Larry, like is is that kind of a daunting thing to look at? That's tough. I mean, it's it's tough. And I think that, you know, the outsiders, we can we can laugh and we could you know say, hey, you guys got a got a tough schedule. There's a lot of games coming up. But that's really tough on the body. That's really tough on the the, the mental strain. I mean, that's that that is really tough to put those games in that sort of time period, in that sort of short time period. So, you know, you need everyone, and that's I'm saying when when Brad goes to the bench, like you need to make sure that everyone is engaged, not just for that game, you know, not just say, hey, I'm going to carry everybody. We're going to win this game. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, we got to figure out how to get everybody alled up when we have those months of of 15 games because it's coming again to make sure that you can sustain, you know, sustain that month. And it it is going to be really, really tough for those guys to play at a high level during that condensed sort of time period with the opportunity to chase a play-in spot. So every game is going to matter from the last 15, 20 to 15 games. All of those games are going to really, really matter because of what you what you did in the first half of the season. So that's going to be more physical output. It's going to be more mental output. So I just think it's going to be really tough. These guys are professionals. Um, you do have a, a deadline, trade deadline is coming. You know, maybe you bring in some pieces that will help you. Uh, push to the to the finish line but man that is if I see that schedule I know that there's be a few games that I'm not playing 
yeah. I, I, I'm not going to play because th- th- that's going to be really tough. Yeah, and I hope they kind of plan that out and it's more of a smart, hey, you know, maybe here's the night uh, where where we kind of give everybody some minutes and get the young guys in and rest Brad and and Westbrook or, or whatever and, and just sort of be more strategic than like, hey, you know, this guy sits one night, that guy sits the next night. Like, I don't, I don't think you can do that when, when you have that title window. Last thing, they have no national TV games the second half of the season either. How much do players pay attention to that? And if you're... I know Brad specifically is probably aware of that, but for the rest of the guys, like, does that piss you off? Oh yeah, that just tells you you're, on a, you're probably on a bad team. But yeah, man, we we all want to play on national television. I mean, you, we all want to have that ABC game. You want to have that Christmas game, and you want to at least have like one or two TNT games. I mean, throughout your season, that says that people that are not, not normally watching your market get a chance to see you. Uh, you think about TNT games. I mean, there was when there was. The, the regular schedule, there was only like three games on on the Thursday. So if you had the Eastern Conference TNT game, you know, everybody was watching. So those are the games that you you hype yourself up for. Those are the games you get, you know, even more opportunities for. So to, to not play on national television, that cuts down on some of the endorsements, you know, just the, the amount of impressions that you can get, you know, from playing well on national television. Uh, the, I mean, and that stuff matters in, in today's age of, of how these players uh, kind of create their profile. So to not have any national televised games is like, that's a punch in the face. It doesn't really make sense to me. Like, yeah, they haven't been like amazing as a team, but uh, Brad's an all-star starter. Like he clearly got enough respect from fans to get to that position. Westbrook's got like his own hive of fans, you know, like yeah. – they would they would get eyes. I mean, it's not like they've been that bad, and they've been a fun, more fun watch recently. Uh, I don't really understand that decision from the league's perspective. Well, I, I think that these guys play well, and you know, during the second half, and with everything that's going on, you pick up a national game here or there, uh, just for the fact that you know the production of the game is completely different than it's ever been. So for them to, you know, for you to get on a roll, I mean, that, that could be a goal. Right. Mm-hmm. That could be on our board is to, you know, to make everybody aware of, of what we're planning to do is that we want to have them schedule a televised game that wasn't on the board. And that's a goal that we're going to shoot for. Yeah, that's a great call. And I, I hadn't thought of that. But, you know, at some point, you know, late in the year, I, I don't know a specific example, but uh, let's say they've got Cleveland, Sacramento on a national TV game and both teams struggle like maybe the NBA doesn't want to feature that game at a certain point and, and you can kind of slide in there. It's, it's happened. I mean, it's happening, especially you have a high profile guy like Brad. Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point in time, you know, Brad's going to go for 70. I think he, you know, the pieces around him have to be you know a little bit better and obviously start playing well, but that's a guy that can score at will. Um, so he's, he's definitely must watch uh, uh, TV. All right, Larry, I think that's all I had for you. Any parting shots before we get out of here? Uh, no, man, just uh, rolling into March and March Madness and uh, just enjoying the, you know, the the warm weather now. I'm starting to see a little bit of uh, leaves come on the trees, man. So, you know, just keep involved with the, you know, with the, with the Believe in Wizards podcast and keep watching, keep tuning in, keep listening, watch the Wizards turn it around. Love it. Yeah, send us some questions next week, too. We won't have as many games to talk about, so we'd, we'd love to kind of have a midseason check-in with everybody.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.